stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. Stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, baseball fans of all ages. This is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your Los Angeles Dodgers. This is Joe Davis. This is Josiah Gray. I'm Jock Peterson. Hey, this is Ross Stripling. This is Tony Gonsolin. This is Buster Olney. This is Adrian Gonzalez. Hi, this is John Hartung, and you're listening to Blue Heaven. 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 And you are listening to the Blue Heaven Podcast. What is going on, Dodgers Nation? Uh, we, we're excited, we're happy, and we're also sad at the same time to be joined by our friend, Mr. Mark Langell, who um, is kind enough to join us today. We're here a few days now uh, since the, I, I mean, I guess we can't really call it untimely passing of Tom Charles Lasorda, but still, it's a sad time for uh, for a lot of Dodgers Nation, but it's also a happy time because you just get to hear so many great stories from fans and and who better than to give us some great stories than Mark. So one third time now today, I'm asking you this, Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Happy new year. It's wonderful to be both with both of you in this kind of weird way, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, it, it, the news didn't quite come as a, a, too much of a surprise, but still it's something where you're just, you can't help but be taken aback. It's, it still did come as a shock because Tommy, larger than life, there's no way you can get the phone call in the morning. Um, he Two years ago, uh, it was close as far as we thought that might be it for Tommy. Uh, and he actually made a comeback, which was wonderful. And you always heard, come back, come back, come back. And that was with Tommy. Tommy's in the hospital or Tommy's facing a challenge. Tommy could face any challenge. And so it was great news. Uh, after the World Series when he's hospitalized, but he's making progress and he's out of intensive care and he's following, he's FaceTiming and people are sending him uh, photos and he's, he's communicating. And I guess just finally after, after 93 years, uh, he got the most out of his life. I'll tell you that. It's an initial shock and you're like, wow, mm -hmm. that really happened. And then I think within an hour, you're smiling because not only you're, you're thinking just how lucky you are to know such a man. And then you look back and you're thinking, wow, the first time I ever would have met Tommy Lasorda would have been in the left field pavilion, getting his autograph uh, on a Sunday. And, and at that point you're thinking, who's Tommy Lasorda. It's just like, if you're a kid, you're like Monty Bazcall and red Adams. Those are coaches under Walt Alston, but I really had no insight knowledge of Tommy Lasorda. And if you remember around that time, from from 1973 to 76, he's not doing the Tommy Lasorda act. He's the loyal third base coach. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's kind of like the bottled up uh, Joey Amalfitano version of Tommy Lasorda. Finally, uh, once that press conference, September 
1976, Tommy throws down the gauntlet right away. I think the second or third line, uh, somebody asked me how it feels replacing somebody who had been here 23 years, Walter Alston. I feel sorry for the guy who's going to replace me. And then if you think about it, in the next few days, the next few weeks, he had several announcements. Uh, the reign of the Cincinnati Reds was over, even though they had won the World Series uh, in 75 and 76. Uh, the medical announcement from him uh, that he bleeds Dodger blue uh, <laughs> and that they were going to, you know, that they were going to dominate. And he, I'm sure even Al Campanis is thinking, Tommy, Tommy, hold the phone here. Let's, uh, he didn't care. He, he had waited all his life for something like this and, and he was just ready to go, but there's no way that Tommy started slowly as far as just mm -hmm. let's see what happens. Tommy <laughs> actually starts with Frank Sinatra singing the national anthem on opening day. The only thing about Tommy starting slowly was the great story about Don Sutton uh, and that first pitch to Gary Thomason, because there was always a question of whether or not that first pitch under the Tommy Lasorda reign was supposed to go to the Hall of Fame. Uh, and so Sutton throws the pitch in his mind. Maybe he thinks it's just, you know, Thomason's going to take it and it's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Boom. Thomason hits it in the stands. The very first pitch of the Tom Lasorda administration is sailing to the outfield. And they were all able to have a good laugh about it because <laughs> Sutton settled down, wins five to one. Fred Clare, the marketing director at the time, said, uh, Don, we could have mailed it to Cooperstown. You didn't let Tom have to let Thomason hit it to Cooperstown. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, they start something like 17 and six and they, they get off to a big lead. And that's the year uh, that they also have uh, the 30 home run club. They've already got the infield in place, uh, but Dusty Baker's hit just four home runs in 1976. And Lasorda's like, you know, you're my guy, you're my guy. He's just playing regulars. He's not platooning. Uh, and so they, they ride to the pennant. What everybody forgets, yes, they get to the World Series. And yes, Tommy would win two pennants uh, in his first two years for the first time since Gabby Street of the 1930-31 St. Louis Cardinals. They lost that first playoff game in 1977 against the Phillies. Now, it's best of five back then. So you got a lot of pressure. You've been talking a whole lot how great this team is. And they lose that first game. I believe it was seven to five. They wasted a grand slam and, and I think Carlton had hit a homer, but game two before the game, Tommy knows his team might be tight. And who does he bring in for a motivational speaker? And this is the playoffs, right? This isn't spring training. Don Rickles, the comedian. Mm -hmm. And for 20 minutes does his routine rips the team up and down. You know, I think even the line on Lasorda, uh, you know, during the off season, you put a string on him and he's a balloon. You know, he does his whole act and the genius of Tommy was not that Don Rickles, hey, I know this famous person. I think that my team is tight and I'm going to do it my way. And if I need to bring in a comedian to relax. And the interesting thing about this, and people forget, two weeks earlier, Tommy had actually gotten in trouble with Rickles because he's got the big lead. He's on his way to the National League West title. He actually puts Don Rickles in a uniform in the dugout. Now that's no big deal, but then go ahead make a pitching change. Go out to the mound and talk to the pitcher. <laughs> the pitcher is alias Sosa that apparently doesn't speak much English, but he says, Hey, you're not the coach. Uh -huh. And suddenly Rickles gets nervous and Harry Wendelstedt, the umpire comes out and Rickles thinks, Oh my God, it's over. And this is before TV and 38 cameras covering this. So uh, and Tommy's already going to get in trouble for this the next day with Mr. O'Malley. 
But in that moment, they're on the mound and Harry Wendelstead and Don Rickles, what are we going to do? Hey, Don, how you doing? Hey, we wanted to go to your show next week, but it's sold out. And Rickles <laughs> is like, just get me out of this and you'll have a front row. And sure enough, <laughs> the next week they're at the show and it's the front row. But that was that was the world of Tommy. Even though he got yeah. in trouble, you know, for that pitching, uh, he knew they were on the ropes. So let's let's play the Rickles card again because if they lose, oh, Tommy's a clown. Tommy, this isn't serious and everything like that. He did what he had to do in the moment with Don Rickles. Tommy's uh, the start of Tommy's Hollywood uh, Hollywood Dodgers there in the seventies and eighties and. I mean, you look at by the end of his tenure managing, you see his office and it's just all these pictures. It, it looks like an Italian restaurant because I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what he was going for in his office. Right. That that nice homey feel. And uh, hey, look at all these people I know, he but they know picture, me. Well, he took a picture. He took a page from the Leo DeRocher uh, book because in Brooklyn, Leo DeRocher did the exact same thing. And if you think about it, he later ma married actress Lorraine Day but he was buddies with George Raft. He's buddies with Milton Berle. Uh, yeah. uh, when they came out to the West Coast, he's the one that represents the Dodgers on shows like the Munsters or the Beverly Hillbillies because uh, Walter Alston didn't want to do the TV stuff. So DeRocher loved the Hollywood stuff as well. He'd hang out in Palm Springs during the off season. So Tommy decides, no, I'm not going to take the little trainer's room like Walter Alston had because uh, Alston, it, it had to be functional. He wasn't the type... Uh, to have people come into his office and hang out. So Tommy takes over the trainer's room and Tommy's a genius because Tommy has the food in the clubhouse. So if the player wants to come in and have food, he has to see the manager. Now here's the beauty. You can have all your Hollywood Bobos and, and stars and everything like that in there too. And this is before the restrictions on in the clubhouse. So Tommy is making it like a mini fires club, you know, with food. And that was, and, and yes, all those, all of those uh, pictures, yeah, look who I know, but it was the thing about the communication and it was the intrigue as far as anybody could, who's going to be in Tommy's office today? Steve Yeager did a, did a, a, a interview for our PBS uh, program. And he said, you just never knew who Tommy was going to have mm -hmm. the next day at the ballpark. And, and that led along with great players. I think that also uh, kept a, uh, ballplayers from being bored because yeah you come out to the ballpark but you might run into a hollywood star you might run into a famous singer and what always happens the actor wants to be a ball player and the mm -hmm. ball player wants to be an actor so you those two sides can never get enough of each other it's you know you hang out with the actor you hang out with the ball player because they're on the same level as far as success um but so they can appreciate one another's success in their respective industry yeah, Mark, you, I mean, you talk about Tommy and it, it's funny because there's that famous quote where Tommy's talking about food and how he'll never throw away a morsel of food in his life. Uh, <laughs> it, it's interesting how he created that kind of atmosphere around it. And I, I didn't even know that when you're talking about, you know, in order to come in and get food, you have to go through the manager's <laughs> office, that sort of thing. But I mean, what an atmosphere that guy created. And, yeah. you know, you talk about movie stars and Hollywood and all the things that that go along with it really felt like he made the Dodgers a place that you wanted to be. Absolutely. Because if you think about it before the marketing, Fred Clare, the marketing director had thought, okay, think blue. Didn't say anything about Dodgers. Think blue. And then Tommy took it a step further with the big blue Dodger in the sky. So <laughs> Tommy took it a step further and just told everybody, you know, that the Lord was a Dodger fan. You know, that's <laughs> okay. Thanks, Tommy. 
And, but, but with that winning, that, that was the key too, because he had winning ball clubs, but Tommy did so many things behind the scenes. And I, I had a chance years and years later, 2007, uh, to spend time with him in spring training. His personal assistant had, had gone uh, on personal leave. And so I took over and I told people it was the most remarkable 28 days, 14 hours, 37 seconds of my life because it was Tommy 24 seven. And I had such an appreciation but behind the scenes, here's what he would do. He would write notes. He would make calls. He would do so many things with so many, with so many different people. And he's sowing the seeds, even as Dodger manager. He also analyzed his players. What would work as far as motivation? What wouldn't work? Uh, who needed uh, encouragement? Who needed a swift kick? Then he knew about the families as far as the dynamics of the families and everything like that. And that was the important thing too, because he knew uh, it was very important to take care of those families. And he knew with Mr. O'Malley, it was very important that when you look at Dodger Town, they'd have Christmas at Dodger Town and, and these other type of community things. Uh, back in the day in the 70s, uh, the father-son game, um, old-timers day luncheons. So not only with the tradition of the past, Tommy wanted to have that community involvement. So he could put on so many different hats. He could put on his Hollywood hat. He could put on his kissing the baby cap. He could put on the encouraging the minor league or the teaching cap. Uh, and then he could uh, put on the Kingman cap. If somebody asked for, you know, his opinion on something that didn't go well. <laughs> he really had the range. And, uh, you know, in, in hearing so many great stories over, over these last, uh, you know, few days, I think one of my favorite that stood out, uh, Andre Ethier was on with sports in LA and, and, you know, obviously Dre day, captain clutch, not a born Dodger, but you, you wouldn't have been able to tell, especially now this many years later, it's 15 years later from when he first made a, a, an appearance in Dodger blue. And he was sharing the story about how I didn't know anybody. It was my first time there at Dodger town, Dodger town, obviously very different animal. And I want to get your, your take on Dodger town versus what we see now at Camelback. But, you know, Andre talking about, I'm sitting there. I don't know anybody. I'm alone. And, and Lasorda sees me and he says, no, you're going to come to sit with me. And he said that that was the beginning of the next few days of three to four hour, you know, mini Dodger lessons. And that was at that time, that was, I guess, 2006. I mean, that's what Tommy kind of really back in with the organization. Again, uh, we, we hate saying the name Frank McCord around here, but, you know, obviously after Fox and everything and all that weird time and estrangement, McCourt was smart enough to bring him in, make Tommy that important again. You could see just how much Tommy loved it uh, literally until his dying days. I have to tell you about Mr. McCourt because as far as the Dodger history, <clears throat> very supportive of the past. Uh, mm -hmm. He's the one that organized. Here's the funny thing about Mr. McCourt. Um, 2005, it was early, maybe spring training. Maybe it was January or February. Uh, and he had come from the holiday break and he had a, a baseball in his hand. And he said, somebody gave me this Brooklyn Dodger baseball uh, when I was back East. And I want you to look at it because they said it was from the 50s, could be 54, 55, 56. And I saw the name Frank Kellert. And mm -hmm. I said, it's a 55 ball. And he kind of gave me this strange look. And, you know, sadly, I get that strange look when yeah. I announce what that means as far as Frank <laughs> Kellert, because he was the he was on the roster for the last, uh, uh, not only the last six weeks of the 55 season, but when Jackie Robinson steals home in game one of the 55 World Series at Yankee Stadium, there's a batter in the on-deck circle, and I believe he's number 12, but everybody's like, who is that? Who is that? 
and it was Frank Kellert. And they asked him in spring the following year when he goes to the Cubs, was he safe for out? And he thought he was out, but it didn't matter because the umpire call stood. Sadly, that's all going through my head when Frank McCourt's holding the ball going, <laughs> so what do you think? 54. So yeah. I had to, I had to basically give him the cliff notes version and explain that he's 55. And he said, well, tell me about why is 55 is that significant? And, and mm -hmm. what he meant was he had told me already, if you need to fly anywhere, go ahead. As far as he had given me that option. If you think, you know, you do the history, if you think you need to go somewhere or meet somebody. So I, I give you that background. That's why he asked me that question. I said, well, 55, I said the two most important dates in Brooklyn Dodger history, Jackie Robinson's major league debut, April 15, 1947, and then October the 4th, 1955. Uh, Yankees, uh, Yankee Stadium, Brooklyn Dodgers win their first and only championship two to nothing. And that's why 55 is so significant. So I tell him that story. Now, lo and behold, later it's announced there's going to be a 55 reunion at Dodger Stadium. All the living players are going to come back 2005, which includes Tommy because Tommy was on that team. Mm -hmm. Mr. McCourt gets to the podium and he tells the story about why he did the story, or why he did the reunion. And you could have knocked me over with a feather because he told the story about me and the baseball in the hallway. And he never told me that he, but he, he decided that that was important. And so I know not everything, obviously not everything worked out in the administration, but I always want to say, you know, in, in terms of the history, um, I still can remember when he found out Bill Sharman was going to be at the game and Bill Sharman, the, the former Boston Celtic uh, player and Laker coach who had had a cup of coffee uh, with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And, and he, he goes, Hey, let's go down and meet him. And he was like a little kid. I said, you want to do it now? He goes, there's no time like the present. Um, so I give you that story as far as Frank McCourt in history. Uh, for me, he couldn't have been, he couldn't have been more supportive. I love that. I love that, Mark. Thank you. Appreciate that story. Uh, look at you making things happen, Mark, making reunions happen, making <laughs> things like that. That's, that's awesome. What a great story to have in your back pocket for just for just on a out. whim, just on a mention of Frank. <laughs> let me tell you, I am just so lucky because, you know, in, and you guys know my background. Uh, it, it's the dream job. I've had it since 94. And it's a very, very strange feeling when you if somebody had said you could have another job, any other job in the world, and you, and you, you got to question yourself and say, I don't think there is another one. I, I enjoy mm -hmm. it so much. And, and it's not the success of the team as much as the people that I get to meet. And, and you guys are included as far as it's a wonderful daily conversation and the ups and downs. You guys remember the feeling in your stomach when they were down three games to one against the Braves and everything mm -hmm. looks bad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when they blow game four, the world series, and suddenly it's like, instead of three, one, it's two, two. Yeah. And you guys are like, Oh no, here it goes again. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and sadly I'm thinking in the 1941 world series uh, game four, when there was a drop third strike in the Yankee ice go, Hey, this is the same situation. <laughs> like everyone's like, we really don't need to know that right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, Mark. The series is on the line. Not now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so this is just natural in terms of, of what happens. I, I just, um, it, it, I've heard Scully describe it as far as you're on the curb watching the parade. Um, and, and for me, it's just been, been so fortunate. And the thing is, I don't play the game. Other, you know, people like Friedman are putting the team together. People like Scully are, are calling the games. You guys are doing shows like this. Uh, I just enjoy the whole, uh, enjoy the whole atmosphere. And, and I absolutely love it 
uh, when the fourth game of the season this year, right in the middle of the pandemic, uh, the, I heard the first per- person complain about our offense. And I was like, yes, we're back. <laughs> we're back, baby. <laughs> we have our priorities in order. <laughs> that, that, honestly, that might have been us. I'm not going to lie. We, we have to be fickle at least every Monday or else, you know, people get mad at us. They're like, oh, they're all homers and whatever. So yeah, yeah. you got to find something to complain about. But, you know, you, you look at now the 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 weight uh, that that tommy carried with him both in size and in in character yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i say that because tommy gave me weight loss lessons and we flash forward a few years later they didn't work tom so uh, i never got a chance to 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 pick that bone with him but i probably also didn't listen to what he said but uh just how much he meant not only to the organization and and kind of being that thread for I mean, more than, oh, or I guess uh, about half of, I don't know, I, I'm not good at math on the spot, but for the entirety of the Dodgers organization, how much Tommy has been a part of it. And now that's gone. And just what that means for uh, what he meant for baseball along the way, just you, know, you and I were talking earlier about, uh, you know, you have 130,000 people posting pictures and all that, just the amount of people that he touched the, the way he touched the, the, the game of baseball all around his ability to be that ambassador, just what, what in, in your opinion now, do you think we, we really are losing or, I mean, it's Tommy, are we losing anything? I think we lose Tommy, the person, but we're never (laughs) going to lose Tommy, the memory, and we're never going to lose Tommy, the lessons. And I think this year, the important thing is to analyze why we love Tommy so much, because Mm. you can look at it from a business standpoint. How did he make the ball club? Well, but just imagine if it had just been about the Dodgers and mm-hmm. if it had just been about baseball and he spent the rest of his life, the Dodgers this, the Dodgers that. What did Tommy do? Tommy took lessons from a baseball field, but they could apply it to everyday life. So he could go into a classroom and give some sort of analogy why you need to try your best, you know, why to listen to your parents, wo- loyalty and everything like that. So it wasn't, he took lessons from the baseball field um, but it was about life in terms of accepting challenges. And you could just infer, here's a guy, the number three staff, uh, number three pitcher on a Norristown high school team that only had two pitchers. And he winds up in Cooperstown and he would fit whatever message he had to whatever group he was with. And, and that was the key because he wanted to uh, not only uplift, but inspire people. He didn't have to his record spoke for itself. He didn't have to say, I did this, I did that. He would get a big kick if some kid didn't have confidence. And Uncle Tommy suddenly said, you could do this. And maybe he heard two or three years later uh, that he had listened to Uncle Tommy and, and was a success. And he could do that with the military. He could do that with any group. And one of my favorite moments was the facts of life speech that Tommy gave to my nephew when he was seven years old, and this is about 2006, and uh, my nephew walks into Tommy's office, and I had no idea that he was going to give him the Facts of Life speech, and he did. And do you want to know what the Facts of Life speech was? Oh, I want to know it so bad. <laughs> he looked at my nephew, and he said, Michael, you look like a fine young man. I want you to always remember one thing. Dramatic pause. Always Stand in the middle of the photo so they can't crop you out. My nephew, my nephew gives me this blank look. And I said, I'll tell you later. Yeah. Now, now think about this. 
that story was the lead to the obit that I wrote on the on the uh, uh, Dodger Insider yeah. blog, mm-hmm. and it had nothing to do with my nephew. It had everything to do with the message because think about Tommy his whole life. He wanted to be in the picture. He's the youngest of five brothers. Mm-hmm. His high school coach doesn't believe in him. Everybody else, he's got to fight for everything. In the minor leagues, you had mentioned Andre Ethier. When he comes to that Brooklyn Dodger organization, 1948, that's the height of the minor league organization with over 600 prospects. Wow. He said that he would sit in that very same dining room with guys like Ralph Branca and Clum mm-hmm. And not because they invited him, but because there was no caste system in terms of pecking order where you sit. You could have a Hall of Famer sitting next to somebody in Class D Bowl. So Tommy would say he'd ask, you know, a player for a shirt or a glove or something because, you know, who know, knows what he had. And then he'd write home and say that, you know, he had dinner with Ralph Branca. He had dinner with Clum Bine. <laughs> And of course, the rest of the story was they didn't know they were having dinner yeah. with him. Yeah. But, you know, but but he Tommy never forgot. Uh, Tommy never forgot where he came from. And and I got to tell you, doing that behind the scenes stuff as his assistant mm-hmm. uh, for the 28 days, so much stuff I saw behind the scenes as far as, well, let's give him a call. He would just randomly go through mail. It didn't matter if he didn't know the person. So-and-so sick. Hi, this is Tommy. Hope mm-hmm. you're, you know he he truly enjoyed making other people happy any and and those people that wouldn't necessarily it wouldn't have anything to do with anything to do with Tommy as far as him getting something out of it or relating to his job just doing something nice for somebody else he genuinely liked doing that yeah we clint and i have uh We've been fortunate to have a couple run-ins with uh, mm-hmm. Tommy, either at Camelback Ranch or uh, in, in in person with Clint. But there was one instance. It was my first spring training as a credentialed media member, and uh, we, we ran into Tommy a few times. And it was yeah. just great to see. You know, I didn't get to meet him till you know much much later in his life, but even at that age, still as sharp as ever, still as funny as I've ever you know seen any yep. clip of him or anything like that, and just welcoming beyond anything. You know. I, at the time, no one knew who I was when I was there at Camelback Ranch. I was just somebody that was there with a camera and a media pass on my shirt. But Tommy would always make sure to come through, say hello to everybody and crack a joke on his way through to the locker room. And uh, there, there really was just no one like him. I like the quote from Clayton Kershaw that said, we had heard every story. We, we knew everything yes. in advance. We, and, and yet he could still command the room every time he came in. And I thought that was a Wonderful tribute. And my mind wanders to various things. Uh, uh, my family was at a game once and he came up to my grandmother and said, I'm glad to hear you're feeling better. And he, and he keeps walking down to the press box and my grandmother just had stars in her eyes. And it was like, wow, how did Tommy know I was recently sick? And of course, if you're over 80 years old, chances are you were recently sick. So yeah. Tommy was taking a great educated guess. But <laughs> even, even doing speeches and he'd see, I see somebody in the clergy and I He'd pause what he's doing so he could do his routine. He said, you know, Father, I always had a question. Why didn't the Corinthians write back? You know, and this is in the middle of a speech. And suddenly he, he, you know, he, uh, I heard he was master of ceremonies once uh, where he said, uh, good evening. I'm uh, Tommy Lasorda. I'll be your master of ceremonies. I'm not here to bore you, but I'll introduce to you those who will. <laughs> right off the bat, he kills the whole dance. <laughs> That's a chef's kiss right there. That is just a vintage Lasorda. Even even till you know, like 
deep in, or not deep uh, into his 90s, he's still giving you these stories. He's still as sharp as ever with the wit, even as the body failed him. Uh, the mind was always there. And, and yeah, like like, you know, Brooke was talking about a, a simple little story. And uh, and it's it's nothing to Tommy, but it means something to, to somebody else. And, and like you said, Mark, he just lived to to make people feel happier and, and make people just feel important in some way. And he did a hell of a job doing that for 93 years. He did. And we had a fun, uh, something that we could finally do for him. Uh, when I was his assistant, he would always bring in photos and stuff. And, and one time he brought in a, a canister and it had some film in it. Uh, and I took it to get developed. And I don't think Tommy ever took it home. So when Tommy uh, got to the hospital, I thought, you know, I'm going to call his daughter and see if, if she's ever seen this film because it had come from the house. And what are the odds that Tommy in the hospital is going to be able to see the home? You know, he, he wanted to be home for Christmas and he was still in the hospital. Well, technically, through a miracle, he was home for Christmas mm -hmm. because the film was 1956 home movies at Christmas. And it's 30-year-old Tom Lasorda you know, hugging his maybe three or four year old daughter, Laura, uh, and, and just to be able to have him see that um, in a hospital bed, just to think, to, just to be able to, how, how, would, how would you even think that you would see that all those years later? Um, it's funny because very rarely did you think you could maybe do something for him. And there were a couple of mm -hmm. things that I was able to do. He has the famous story about when he is a, a, a kid and he's standing outside a ballpark, and I believe it's the New York Giants in town. And a kid, uh, he asked for somebody's autograph, and the kid got out of the way, that type of thing. Yeah. So Tommy, of course, you know, there's, there's even, at, even Tommy still gave him the look at that age as far as, okay, he found out who he was, uh, Buster Maynard. And Buster, you know, not a famous name, but he blew Tommy off that day. You're not, uh, no autograph for you. <laughs> so what are the odds? Just a few years later, Tommy's a little older and he's starting his minor league career and he's pitching. And here's on the loudspeaker, now batting, Buster Maynard. <laughs> and Tommy said, of course, the horns came out. Yeah. And, and so, of course, you know where the first pitch, the second pitch, and the third pitch are going. Yeah. <laughs> and, and after Buster Maynard got off, off the floor for the third time, he said, what have I ever done to you? Do I even know you? And Lasorda <laughs> on the mound said, that's for not signing my book when I was a kid. I wanted your autograph. And Buster's like, who is this? You know, it was crazy. So let's flash forward maybe to about 2015. It's the, it's the, uh, uh, the age of eBay. I found something. And so at, at the holiday time, uh, I gave Tommy a three by five card that had been signed. And it was in a, I put it in a plexiglass frame. He sort of looked at it and then he sort of, he sort of made out the name. He goes, is this who I think it is? I go, yeah, you finally got your Buster Maynard autograph. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is perfect. <laughs> and, then oh. the better, and then the better one, also, also eBay, somebody has a, a listing for Tom Lasorda's high school yearbook. Not the personal one, but his, his class, you mm -hmm. know, from somebody famous. So, of course you know, whatever it costs, I got to get this thing. And, and it was amazing because when I got it, I turned to the sports and there is Tommy in the front row with this 
wavy Harpo Marx type hair, you know, and the sweater and it's, you, you got the look, he still looks like Tommy, um, but this is Tommy uh, in high school, you know, even though he looked like he'd been through 300 fights, you know, he still technically is a high school kid, but he definitely, <laughs> you know, had that edge, that edge look to him. Yeah. So I take it to the office and I give it to him and he, and I, I believe, I don't know if I gave him the yearbook because the funny thing was his picture was not in the yearbook. I believe he had left school before the graduation and I never got the story of, of this was the yearbook the next year, mm-hmm. you know, or if, or if Tommy was, you know, missed the, missed the class or something uh, for the, for the photo. So he sees this photo. Now this is going to be unbelievable that I tell you this, but I show him the photo. He's quiet for 30 seconds. <laughs> Nothing comes out of his mouth. So at that point, I know he's not seen this. But at that point, I'm distracted going, I can't believe he's not saying anything for this long. <laughs> you found it. That, that might be your career highlight, finding a way to take words out of Tom Lasorda's mouth well, <laughs> or at least shut him up. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was shocked. And so finally, he breaks the silence. Not thank you for the yearbook. Not where did you get this? Oh my gosh, I never thought I would see this. He takes the finger and he points it at the man wearing a suit in the team photo and says, that's the guy that didn't play me. <laughs> that's, that's what stood out to him from that. That's <laughs> not, what he not, remembers from that. Not gonna, didn't name him by name. That's the guy that didn't play me. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, those are the important things. Don't don't slight Tommy. You know what? He uh he may not have had all the talent in the world, but you couldn't have told him that. Well, it had a happier story because 1954, he's at Ebbets Field and he's in the major leagues. And the man, the 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 coach is at the Tommy, Tommy, he's at the he's at the game, and Tommy sees it's his high school coach. And uh, you know, you'd think there's some cheerful reunion or a hug. Tommy just stood there pointed to the chest that said Dodgers and went into the, went into the dugout. That was it for the reunion. I think he won that round. Yeah. (laughs) In a roaring stadium, their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. That's got to be something to have, uh, you know, so many people kind of overlook you in some way and just to end up where you're at at the end of it all. Man, you know, it's it's 93. We're we're saying there's that you're still shocked that he's gone, but he could not, nobody could have lived a fuller life than, than Tommy Lasorda. And I, I want anybody to tell me otherwise. You're exactly right. And, and he always used motivation, uh, people not believing in him or if he perceived a slight. Uh, he didn't think that Alston liked him. And, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, uh, Alston didn't pitch him that much. And Alston, Tommy got mad at Alston in 54. And whether or not this is true, Don, Don Zimmer uh, told Tommy, you're not going to like it. Tell me, tell me, you're not going to like it. And he, he said, the only reason you were called up to be a cheerleader. Now, whether or not Zimmer was pulling Lasorda's leg or he actually heard it, 
Well, sort of ran into Alston's office and said, you know, I didn't come here to be a cheerleader. And he had pitched for him in Montreal. But, you know, this is different. This is the majors. Alston takes over in 54. So, you know, he's got he, he's got to go with the Erskins, the Preacher Rose, the people that uh, are, are more consistent. Tommy tells the story that he was supposed to uh, get a better, better audition at the end of the 54 season. Uh, they were going to pitch... Um, they were going to pitch a guy named Carl Spooner. And if Spooner got in trouble in the first inning, that Tommy was supposed to be the next one in. Well, Spooner gets in trouble, but he gets out of it. Spooner ends up striking out 15 and wow. pitching a shutout. And then he pitched a, another shutout the next game. But it's like Tommy was that close. And then Tommy ends up uh, barely pitching in 55. And when Tommy gets his first uh, start, uh, there was a commentator that said, well, he gave up some wild pitches, this and that. The real story was Tommy's covering home plate as the Cardinals are rallying against him. Wally Moon slides into home plate and slices that knee. And you can see, you know, all the guts and everything like that. And of course, Tommy still wants to come in because stay in the game because it's taken him so long. And they're like, you got to get to the hospital and everything. And then the funny part was about maybe 2017, 2018, uh, the, the two people that threw out the ceremonial first pitch uh, were Wally Moon and Tom Lasorda. And I knew the story. So the joke was, hey, Wally, recreate the slide. You know? <laughs> I'm sure Tommy loved that one. <laughs> he, you know what? Tommy had a wonderful sense of humor. And if it was a good line, he didn't mind. And the best example I have of that hmm. was when Tommy's portrait was going to be hung in the National Gallery and his wife said they must have a hole in a wall somewhere that they want to cover. And he thought, he thought that was a great line. <laughs> and confirm that is a very good line. That is very good. <laughs> but now uh, kind of, I wanted to double back to something because you're, you're the guy I wanted to, to, to get thoughts on a, with this. Cause you know, I think uh, literally every morsel of Dodger history and uh, you can, I, I think you could project well enough kind of the way we're going. Uh, Ethier, in part of his conversation with Sportsnet, you know, he's, he's sharing his first story of, of Tommy and all that, but he, he kind of sensed this realization for him from him because now here we are, we're in 2021. Spring training is going to look a lot different. But even last year, you know, you're not seeing Maury Wills there. You, we, we just lost you know, nuke the, the, the season before now, Tommy, you're getting these, these threads from, from the Brooklyn days and you're getting this, this long, the people that, that know this history uh, of, of the Brooklyn Dodgers of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And where do you, are we going to lose that? Is, is this Dodgers team? Is this kind of just the way baseball is going to end up where it's, it's just this cold, uh, corporate world and and we don't need to know about about the past or do you do you have some hope that uh enough of these guys will, will still continue telling some of those tommy stories and the legacies and passing them on i always have hope because when you think about it when i was a kid uh the quote old timers were the really old Brooklyn <laughs> dodgers yeah. you know as far as uh in my you know in the 70s uh such people as uh casey stengel he had he had passed away uh, and so some great players, uh, Jackie Robinson, even though he was only 53, he passes away, Gil Hodges passes away. I think the most important thing, and you look at the Lakers as far as the Minneapolis Lakers, uh, whether it's the Rams, the Cleveland Rams and everything like that, anybody that's in charge of any sports team, 
they're the ones that are in charge of their history. And that's the most important thing because that's the thing that can't change, but that's the thing that people really have their memories. Um, yes, it was exciting uh, in 2020 for the Dodgers to win the World Series. Um, but for me, I still have that in the gut feeling when I see highlights from the 74 World Series because four out of the five games were decided by scores of three to two. I still think about Reggie Jackson in the 77 World Series because even though the Dodgers lost, and Kirk Gibson was very theatrical as far as that, that home run. You've got to give it to Reggie as far as three home runs on, on three swings and, and that third one and the little stutter step around the base. And he's, he's doing that for NBC and Howard Cosell, for ABC and Howard Cosell, what this man has been through. And, and, and it, everything comes together. Every generation has to be able to take care of their history, whether it's the mm -hmm. New York Jets and Joe Namath, you name any franchise, it's very important for kids growing up. Because when I, I learned about the Dodgers, uh, about the, the initial stages of the LA Dodgers, and then this thing called the Brooklyn Dodgers. But I think that's the most important thing in the challenge, because if you're like me and you grew up at the stadium, you'll never forget that feeling of, of being at the ballpark on a Sunday and getting the autographs and hearing uh, Helen Dell uh, with the organ and, and the chance to get autographs and everything like that. Things evolve as far as maybe kids aren't collecting trading cards now, but there could mm -hmm. be uh, selfies. It's, it's what you make of it. And so I don't think you can just sort of stay there and say, no, there's no way we can do this. There's no way we can do that. It used to be this, it used to be that. Um, Andre Ethier is a great example because Andre Ethier might be considered you know, a modern day player. But then again, Andre Ethier still has a story. Andre Ethier, it's still cool to hear about uh, his Arizona State uh, team losing to Ohio State uh, in the Rose Bowl because his brother-in-law happens to be the quarterback from Ohio State uh, that did the upset. And so if you know those behind-the-scenes stories, people are people, and it's what you make of it. If you go to a ball game, you're going to hang out with your friends, you're just going to stare at your phone the whole time. I think that's really the, the, one of the most amazing things I ever heard in, in uh, gosh, it's like 26 years now with the Dodgers. I heard a high school girl, maybe she was in middle school, but she said, I forgot my phone at the game. I left it in my car or I left it in the car, but you know what? I still had a good time. And of course I felt like, you know, they were ready to put the dinosaur exhibit sign in front of me because <laughs> I just couldn't fathom that. But uh -huh. um, the, the, the key is to find out whatever people are interested in and react to that. You just can't do the same old, same old. I'm sure it's like you guys with your show, what's popular get the mm -hmm. feedback, look at all the things at the stadium as far as the exhibits, the food, you want people to be there. You don't necessarily mm -hmm. care why they're there because um, it's, it's the passion. If people are upset because you've lost 10 in a row, that's absolutely wonderful because indifference is the enemy. You want them to care, you want them to be, you want the Dodgers to be part of a daily conversation and anybody with a sports franchise has that opportunity to celebrate the past because I can still close my eyes and smile with Jimmy Wynn. I can still see Joe Ferguson fling that helmet uh, after the Friday night homer to lead to a three-game sweep in 1980. I, I still get chills with Fernando Mania, uh, Gibson limp limping around the bases, or even John Shelby getting that walk against Dwight Gooden in the NLCS in 88 when he had an 0-2 count and Gooden had retired like 19 batters in a row. All that stuff, it's, it's just what you make of it. Yeah. Mark, with that in mind, I, I kind of wanted to ask you, uh, 
Does that mean that you're okay with the renovations that happened at Dodger Stadium? <laughs> you know what? Janet Marie Smith is like the ballpark whisperer. Yep. And, it, it, and I am just the biggest fan of hers. And I am so appreciative. Uh, and, and congratulations are in order for her executive vice president yes. status because yes. it's like she took, takes the pixie dust wherever she goes. And here's the genius of Janet Marie Smith. She doesn't come with preconceived ideas as far as it's got to be this way and that way she parachutes into a city and it investigates the traditions, the history, the lore and everything like that. And that's the important thing Not well, this is the way we did it in Boston. This is the way we did it mm -hmm. at the Rose bowl. This is the way we did it in Atlanta. That doesn't work. And so that's the most important thing. How cool that those directional signs that you see at the stadium, you saw people leaving the flowers for Tommy in front mm -hmm. of the Vin Scully sign, mm -hmm. that hexagon type shape originally was in Walter O'Malley's files uh, in the early 1960s, and they didn't get around to making it. And Peter O'Malley made his files available to Janet Marie. And that's really the great thing. She has to mix the modern amenities as far as the food, the Wi-Fi and everything like that. But she also knows uh, people are gonna get nostalgic for that Vic D'Avolio uh, number 33 retro jersey, uh, you know, from when he dropped the bunt against the Phillies in the league championship series. <laughs> Uh, you know, shocking everybody and starting a rally with the Moda double and the, the, the uh, ropes uh, ricochet hit and the Russell hit up the middle off of Garber and suddenly the, uh, the pennant winners, those types of things too. It, it, if it's just shiny, if it's, if it's just this corporate looking bank, um, you got to have the nooks and crannies. You've got to have uh, the random uh, Tom Needenfear or Davey Lopes or, you know, just pick whatever era uh, Jeff Torborg photo because somebody's going to look at that and go, yeah, I remember that. That was really, mm -hmm. that's really cool. Yeah, we Mark, can't. I mean, really get. I can't. I just, just got to say, I can't wait to get out to the stadium and really stay in <laughs> earnest. Last time uh, we were out there, everything beyond the pavilion was was a dug down dirt hole. So, and they right. were introducing Mookie Betts and 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 uh, David Price. So, I really want to see the rest. <laughs> I really want to see the. Blue heaven on earth sign by the, that's an important part for us. I had, a, I had a chance to go out there this summer cause I did a, a, a tour on camera. I mm -hmm. haven't been in the physical office um, since, uh, since, you know, mid-March, but as far mm -hmm. as outside to do the TV stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of them was a tour around the ballpark and that outfield experience is just amazing just to see what they did. And it's, it, it's a perfect, uh, I, I guess I'm the perfect person to compare because having grown up in the left field pavilion, um, it, it sort of feels the same and sort of looks the same, but it's totally different. But structurally, you know, you still have the feeling you're in the same place. So she still kept the structure, but added the amenity. Uh, and it's very, very exciting to see. Looks great in pictures. Uh, I mean, just just from what we've been able to see, the the flyovers, things like that, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait till we actually get to go out and do that and see real people and be out in the stands. Mark, as always, time has flown by talking to you. Um, I think if it were up to me, I'd probably talk to you for hours on end because I'm, I'm a Dodger nerd. I'm a history nerd. I'm a baseball nerd. I love hearing these type of things. I'm sure everybody loves hearing these type of things. But real quick, before we let you go, what are you most looking forward to in the 2021 season? I think just what you said, uh, being out at the ballpark, because I'm 55 years old and my first game was at age seven. And obviously it's something that I took for granted being to be at the ball game. There were so many things in life I took for granted. Uh, and one of those things, as far as not only being at the stadium, but the feeling to be with other fans. Um, and so I, I appreciate 
the Zoom technology, and I appreciate mm-hmm. the the fact that I can I can tell these stories, and it feels good to tell these stories because it's not to my family because they say who cares and what's for dinner. So thank <laughs> you for giving me an outlet. Uh, but I would I just have so much fun at the ballpark being at the atmosphere, and I'll tell you my favorite moment at the ballpark ten minutes before the game starts because when you walk that corridor, I love looking at people's faces. And just 99 out of 100 people there, they have that anticipation look or they're glad that they're there. And where else are you where it's how cool I'm here? That's the part I love the most, the anticipation. No matter who you're rooting for, hey, I'm at a ball game. How cool is this? Man, I miss that. I miss Absolutely. that. Well, uh, Mark, again, we appreciate your time. Like Brooke said, we could talk for hours about this. Hopefully one day we get to uh, no cameras, no other BS, just <laughs> shooting the soup and, and enjoying uh, Dodger baseball and Dodger fandom and, uh, and everything that goes along with it. But uh, again, we appreciate your time and uh, we hope to see you at the ballpark real soon. Absolutely. Thank you. And happy new year. And I'll do a quick plug for fans who haven't seen. This is our Dodger uh, book all for one. Uh, that we put together uh, that's uh, mm-hmm. with Hershiser and Davis and uh, Clayton Kershaw, Hershiser and Dave Roberts. And so that was a fun project to put together. And um, we just look forward to whatever happens in 2021. We know it's going to be a celebration of both the 2020 World Series, uh, but also the life of you, as we've discussed, of Thomas Charles Lasorda. stadium their silence is deafening 136 israelis are still being held hostage by hamas bring them home home. 